Amen. We are continuing in our series, Free at Last, in the book of Exodus. So I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20 uh, as we continue to look at the Ten Commandments. This morning, we are looking at the Sixth Commandment, which is found in verse 13 of Exodus 20. And it says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, as we sit under the authority of your word now, all of us, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, through your word, would do that work in us, that you would conform us into the image of your son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. In the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, questions uh, and answer 135 and 136, we just read 135, where it speaks to both uh, the duties uh, and the sins regarding this commandment, the catechism speaks in each to the focus of preserving life. At the heart of this commandment, is a call to the covenant community, to the church, to endeavor in all we do toward the preservation of life. While the writers of the catechism recognize that there are circumstances where the taking of life is lawful, the thrust of both our duties and the sins that we are to avoid is in the direction of preserving human life which is created in the image and after the likeness of God. Of course, Israel's own experience testified to what happens when human life is not preserved, when it is not held with the sanctity to which God has by his own words and actions endowed it. When life is not regarded as sacred, we hold people as slaves forcing them to hard labor that reduces the length and quality of their lives. When life is not sacred, we kill children or force parents to live under the threat that their children may be killed if it proves in the interest of the state and the society at large. When life is not sacred, we engage in war against other people groups, not for defense but for the purpose of taking what belongs to them. Israel had, had faced this in Egypt and on their journey to the land of promise, and yet their experience is not unique for even a cursory look at our own times, let alone our own national history, would demonstrate what happens when life is not regarded as sacred, when it is not sanctified. Human slavery, murder, manslaughter, the death of born and unborn children, unjust wars, police brutality that ends in death, and a host of other circumstances in which life is willfully and neglectfully taken away shows us the per per pervasiveness of, this of, this, of the violation of this command. And yet it also shows us the importance of the call of God that He has laid on His covenant community, that He has laid on the church to be a community whose life and witness proclaim a different reality than what we see around us. 
It demonstrates the importance of being a community that works for the preservation of life among us and around us. At every place where this is happening, where the church is assisting the communities in which God has set her to promote life, is to be commended. I want to encourage us, though. I want to encourage us that this call to preserve life is broader than just preventing unjust deaths. It's actually a call to promote what leads toward the flourishing of life in general in all of our relationships with one another. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus moves from the act of murder to the real source of that act, which is our unjust anger at other human beings. Indeed, the actions of Cain, the first murderer, were rooted in his anger that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and his was not. So rather than dealing with his own deeds, he killed his brother. And isn't that what is at the heart of so much of the lack of preserving life in our own day? Out of anger at our own condition, rooted in our own sins, we take it out on others directly or indirectly by either shirking the duties that God calls us to in order to preserve life or by sinning against others by taking away something that would permit them to flourish. But, but God was calling Israel, and he is calling his church to a different way of living, a way counter to that of the world. He was calling them to regard human life as sacred because it was created in his image and after his likeness to act out of a desire to preserve life and not take it away. Keeping this commandment, brothers and sisters, calls for us to remember some very important truths that I think actually are embedded in this commandment about preserving life. So what, is it, what does it call us to remember? What does this commandment call us to remember about preserving life? First of all, preserving life testifies to the fact that God is king and we are not. Pre preserving life testifies to the truth that God is king and we are not. This commandment is a reminder to us that we are not the Lord, that we are not the final judge over other people's lives. It's a reminder that we are not the king. You see, when, when we take another person's life or when we do that, which tends toward the taking of another person's life, we are behaving as if our own judgments are all that matters. We are behaving as if we are in control and not the Lord. We are when we, when we perpetrate violence rather than protecting people from it, when we feed our own anger or the anger of others against another person, when we deny people what makes for good health, proper food and clothing and shelter and medical care, when we discourage the distress rather than doing what comforts them, when we kill and imprison the innocent rather than defending them, when we do these things, we are, we are, we are acting as if we are in control, not the Lord. And what is worse, when we do it as Christians, or when we support those who do, we are not only usurping the king's authority, but we are promoting what the true king of all the earth despises. You see, God is not only the creator of life, he's also the one who determines what does and does not promote the flourishing of that life. 
And He is the one alone who determines whether and under what circumstances a life can be taken in this broken world. Life is truly in His hands from beginning to end. This is why even in the Old Testament, the taking of life could only be done under the strict commands that God Himself laid out for the nation. And of course, God had way more to say to His people about the preservation of life than the circumstances under which a life could be taken. My point here is that God's command is actually a reminder to us that that life and death do not belong to us, they belong to the Lord. And it's also a reminder to us that we are not the king, that our judgments are not at the center in our dealings with other human beings. The king has spoken, and his command is that his people give themselves to that which tends toward the preservation of life the life of other image bearers. And Jesus would tell us this preservation includes not only those who are in our community and not only those that we love, it also includes our enemies. You have heard it was said, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And He's not talking about being sinless. He's actually talking there about your love being manifested not just to those who are part of the community, but even to your enemies. Let your love be indiscriminate. Let your, let your commitment to preserve life be indiscriminate. Let it be a, a love that includes not just your own, but includes your enemies as well. So, I have a question for us this morning. Where are we tempted to treat other people's lives as though they are in our hands? and not in the hands of the Lord? Where do we act like we are the king in our handling of other people's lives? Let me ask this another way. When we don't get our way in our relationships with others, do we condemn them? Do we abuse people to exercise control over their lives? Do we threaten people with violence to get what we want from them? What is more, do we support people who do these kinds of things, thereby encouraging what tends toward the taking of the life of another? This commandment calls us to look at our own lives and ask ourselves where we might be behaving toward others as if we are the king and as if their lives as a result are in our hands rather than in his. Indeed, this commandment calls us to consider this question not just individually, but also to consider this question corporately as a community with with, with all the revelations of abuse that we have been, uh, that have been allowed to fester in the church It's actually wise for us to take stock of our own local churches and assemblies of churches and ask, are we fostering an ungodly and unbiblical practice of control over people's lives that promotes abuse and other practices that tend toward the taking away of life? Or are we rightly submitting ourselves to the king and ridding ourselves of any and everything that tends toward the taking of life of another? 
We must not only ask ourselves that question, but we must actually work as the community of God's people to, 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 to actually rid ourselves of the things that actually cause other people's lives to be in danger. Amen, people of God. <laughs> Preserving life testifies to the, to the reality that God is king. Our commitment to preserve life, as the Lord calls us to, also protects community. The murder of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, together with other image bearers who have died violently and unjustly at the hands of law enforcement or others, the war in Ukraine, which has killed thousands and displaced millions, not to mention other conflicts in the world that have taken life and torn people from their homes, creating uncertainty about their well-being, the greed of wealthy people and nations that have left many at the mercy of destructive poverty. These and many more examples that could be mentioned demonstrate what happens when the preservation of life is not at the center of our concern as God's people. The taking of life or the doing of that which tends toward the taking of life destroys community. It destroys human community. It destroys families. It destroys individuals. It destroys communities. It can even destroy a whole nation. Think about how many times God calls out the nation of Israel in the Bible for, for, for the evil of shedding innocent blood, for the prevalence of violence in the land, for oppression of the poor and needy through violent means. Think about how many times God calls His people out for doing that, which does not preserve life, but takes it away to the point where God, in His discipline of His people, sends them into exile because of their behavior, which in part included their lack of commitment to preserve life. It's certainly one of, one of the reasons for their exile and God's discipline of the nation with Jeremiah telling Shalom, who was one of Josiah's sons, centuries after God had spoken this commandment. He says, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it, went, it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. It's not this to know me, declares the Lord, but you have eyes and, and, and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Think about the things that I just told you are happening in our own land and around the world. And I didn't mention, right, the number of mass shootings that have already happened uh, this year. The taking of life destroys communities. Even, even natural disasters and unattended death can rip apart families and communities. But God actually has called us out as His people to be a people of life, a people who through faith in Jesus Christ promote life among each other and with our neighbors. This is why our relationship with each other, how we treat each other is so crucial. This is why Jesus calls us away from anger and calls us away from malice and calls us away from greed and unforgiveness and the like. He calls us away from every form of violence, every practice that promotes death. Instead, he commands us to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to be giving, to be forgiving, and the like. We, 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 are, we are his community, right, set on a hill so that others can see our good works and glorify God. They are, they are meant to see us and say, 
That's what community looks like. That, that's what humanity at peace can and should look like. And they will say this not because we have no flaws, but because we deal with our failures in, in the way that the power of the Spirit turns us to renew commitments to kindness and tenderheartedness and giving and forgiving and the like. When, when, when things are broken among us, we do not pursue anger. We pursue love. We do not pursue hate. We pursue peace. We do not pursue violence. We pursue the love of God. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to be a people who give ourselves over to those biblical practices that preserve life and thereby preserve community within the community of faith and as much as we are able with the community around us. This, this means promoting a culture of peace that enables people to deal with conflict without violence. It means refusing to repay evil for evil, refusing to promote those who do. It means refusing to give in to the unrighteous anger which seems more and more prevalent in our conversations inside and outside of the church. It means sharing our resources that are, so that our brothers and sisters can have the basic necessities of life, food and clothing and shelter and medical care. It means doing the same for the community around us as much as it is possible for us to do so. It means taking time to comfort the distress and promoting ministry that does. It, 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 please don't underestimate the importance of just sitting with someone who is in despair and speaking words of comfort to them or just being a listening ear for them. You heard it in, in, when we read the catechism uh, earlier uh, uh, early when it says that, 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 that part of the duty that we're called to in the preservation of life is to comfort the distressed. Distress, and, distress is compounded when people don't have somebody they can talk to. Distress is compounded when someone when, when people don't have someone who will listen to them and care about them. It also means defending the innocent from being wrongfully convicted both in the church but also in the world. And so while we may uh, praise our justice system where it renders just decisions, we also must decry the places where it, re it renders unjust decisions. Amen, people of God. So, preserving life testifies that God is king. Preserving, preser pre preserving life uh, is also about protecting, uh, protecting human community. But, but, but preserving life also points to the life to come. It, it, it's, also, it's, it, it's also a way that we as believers point to what is coming because of what Jesus Christ has done. There, there is something else that is working there's something else that, that working to preserve life points us toward, and that is the future that God has prepared for all those who hope in His Son. We're told this in Isaiah 11, the wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
This is, a, this is a picture, right, of the kingdom of the Messiah, of what his reign will bring to pass. And if, and if that is not enough, listen to Revelation 21. He will wipe every, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And if that's not enough, listen, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But, but I got some even better news for you. For, for the experience of the Messiah's rule, the experience of the defeat of death has already come. It starts now, and it is, it, it is experienced wherever the Messiah's people are, are wherever his church exists. For the writer of Hebrews declares this in Hebrews chapter 2, since therefore the children share in, in, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And since, brothers and sisters, my point is this, since this deliverance from the fear of death and our slavery to it has already come in Jesus. We are freed up now as the people of God to begin living as a people who are no longer a people of death, but who are now a people of life because the life of God has now been, been poured into us through faith in Jesus Christ. We can live now in light of that coming future. Death no longer has dominion over us. And since it doesn't, we should not, we must not give ourselves over to it in our relationships with each other. I just want to remind you this morning that, that the rays of the coming future are meant to shine on and in and through the church of Jesus Christ. And that, and that future is a future where death is done away with. How then? Can we as a people, as his people, promote anything that has to do with death? How can we participate in or promote what has to do with death? And so I want to encourage you that we have to fight against anger, against greed, against malice, against violence and the like in our midst. We have to come alongside the poor and the distressed, the sick, the hungry, the homeless, the downcast in our midst. We have to take care of our own while also remembering the words of the Apostle Paul. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we do this, brothers and sisters, when we live like this, when we live like the person sitting next to you, life matters. When you live like the person sitting behind you, because some of y'all sitting right next to your wives and children, I know their lives matter to you. The person behind you. When you live like that person's life matters, that it is valuable, that it is created in the image and after the likeness of God, and therefore you are called to love it, to care for that person, to give and do for them what makes for the flourishing of their life, to be radically generous, to be radically loving, to be radically caring. <laughs> when we live like that, 
when we do this, those rays of the coming future shine among us. Then people will see our good works and glorify our God. Because they know that among us, there's a people who care about life. Amen, people of God. So the call here is to keep that coming day before us when death no longer has a place in God's world. That future is meant to have real meaning because the kingdom has already begun through the death and resurrection of Jesus from the grave. We are already citizens of the kingdom of God. We are already the inheritors of that coming day. And reminding ourselves of this will help us as we continue to face those temptations to give ourselves to the old way of life before Jesus, the way in which we gave or were tempted to give ourselves not to what preserved life, but, what to destroy, but to what destroyed it. And there are a number of passages in the Scriptures in which we are pointed toward that victory over death, which is now ours in Jesus. Don't forget it. Don't let Satan or the world or your sin nature cause you to forget that you are no longer a people of death. You are a people of life through faith in Jesus Christ. Live like that. Live like that's who you are because it is who you are. And remember, therefore, the words of the Lord Jesus in John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If that's what he's come to give you, it's also what he's come to help you express in all of your relationships with each other and in all your relationships with your neighbors. Amen, people of God. God's commandment then not to kill is a commandment that encourages us as his church to commit ourselves to the things that tend toward the preservation of life and away from the things that do not. Through the church, the world is meant to see a community where human life is, is actually valued, where it's protected, where it's defended, where it's enabled to flourish. When, we, when they see us, they are meant to see a people who know that God is king, who are committed to protecting human community and who image what the world looks like when death is no more. When they see us, they, see, they, they should see Jesus, who is king, who died to save a people for himself from every tribe, people, language, and nation. They should see, they should see in us the beginnings of a world in which death is no more. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that indeed you would be, enable us to be a community where this sixth commandment, the duties it requires of us, the sins it calls us away for, from. I pray that when people come to New City Fellowship, they see a people who are a people of life. I hope they see among us, Lord, a people who are committed to indeed protecting and defending and preserving the life not only of those we love, but the life of our neighbors and even our enemies. I pray that they would hear in the way we speak, 
see in the way that we act, that we are a people who care about and value all life created in the image and after the likeness of God. Because that is the truth about every human being in this world. They've been created in the image and after the likeness of God. Help us to be a people, Lord, who because of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ that is now at work among us, behave like a people who are the inheritors of that life. I pray this not only for New City Fellowship, I pray for all, for all the churches in this city and throughout this world. Father, indeed, make us a city set on a hill that demonstrates to the world around us that in the reign of Jesus, something new has happened. <laughs> something radical has happened. Sin and death have been defeated. And the life of God is now already at work in those who believe in you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.